You're listening to the Sportsman's Empire Podcast Network brought to you by Full Sneak Gear. Check out their entire lineup at fullsneakgear.com. Also be sure to check out our entire stable of podcasts at sportsmansempire.com. New from Moultrie Mobile, the Feed Hub offers first-of-its-kind cellular connection and control for nearly any spin cast feeder on the market. When used with the Moultrie Mobile app, you can monitor feed and battery levels, run feeders on demand, receive alerts when feeders are clogged, and remotely adjust feeding times. The Feed Hub is ideal for anyone who maintains feeders. Remove the guesswork and save time by planning feeder maintenance before you drive to your hunting property. For more information, visit MoultrieMobile.com. Interstate Batteries has been a proud supporter of the Sportsman's Nation since day one. They offer just about every battery under the sun, from car and truck batteries to batteries for your trail cameras and rangefinders. Select retail locations even offer cell phone repair and cracked screen repair. Find a local retail location at interstatebatteries.com. Interstate Batteries, outrageously dependable. You're listening to the Average Conservationist Podcast, brought to you by Go Hunt and in partner with 2% for Conservation. Sign up today to become an insider at GoHunt.com. 2% for Conservation's mission is to create an alliance of businesses and individuals that ensure the future of hunting and angling by committing their time and dollars to fish and wildlife. 1% of your time plus 1% of your money equals 2% for Conservation. 2% helps businesses and people pair with conservation causes to support things that fit what they care about. Whether you're into fishing, hunting, or just getting outdoors, 2% can help you not only start giving back to wildlife, but get certified for it. Getting 2% certified means you've made the same commitments as popular brands like Sitka, First Light, Stone Glacier, and Seek Outside in giving at least 1% of your time and dollars back to wildlife. But it's not just for outdoor companies. Breweries, contractors, coffee roasters, and even piano repair companies have earned 2% certification and stand out as leaders in their community for doing so. Businesses that are committed to conservation deserve your business when you shop. Learn more about 2% for conservation at Fish and wildlife.org that's fish and wildlife.org happy thursday everyone welcome back to another episode of the average conservationist podcast and i'm your host marcus ewing today i am joined by aaron hitchens and aaron is one of the co-founders of two percent certified early riser coffee uh aaron and i really kind of Talk a lot about coffee, uh, conservation, the outdoors, and, and why all of that is so important to their business. Um, Aaron kicks things off and, and tells a, a very um, organic story, if you will, uh, on how uh, Early Riser Coffee came to be and, and some of the partners that are involved with it. Um, <clears throat> all the people over there at Early Riser are, are super into um, the outdoors, uh, especially uh, fly fishing and just fishing in general. So as you'll check out their website and see some of the different blends that they offer. It's all kind of geared around, um, you know, fly fishing and different kind of terms uh, and things that you would see in the fly fishing world. Um, a lot of you may know Aaron from his photography work that he does. Uh, he gets to talk about why uh, the outdoors um, is so important to him and how, you know, he was kind of first introduced to that whole scene um, growing up. And, you know, kind of what fly fishing uh, has meant to him uh, over the years and the conservation side of things and how he 
wants to make sure that you know what they're doing as a company, how it can benefit um, you know the wild places and, and habitats and things like that that we all enjoy. So really cool. Aaron also talks about you know how he was introduced to two percent. Um, you know why for them it was such a, an easy um, decision to make to to give back and you know why <clears throat> excuse me um, you know those that money is going back to the certain conservation organizations that it is so really cool episode you know Aaron is um, very um, passionate about um, you know not only coffee but but fishing and you can definitely tell that in this episode so. Super cool. Uh, Episode 50, Aaron Hitchens, Early Riser Coffee. Enjoy, everyone. Um, Before we get into the episode and the conversation with Aaron, though, I want to tell you, take a minute to tell you about our partners over at Stone Glacier. Um, Just this past weekend, I got to uh, find another great use for my Avail 2200 uh, out doing some turkey hunting. Um, The pack, it was a great pack, especially for that. Packed a couple decoys onto the outside of the bag. Uh, had room for a small chair to uh, to carry out there as well, and <clears throat> really just a perfect setup for, especially for something like turkey hunting. Uh, I'm also running it obviously in the whitetail woods as well, so plenty of different options for it, uh, as well as you know all their different um, you know gear in terms of uh, packs, um, their outerwear. Uh, I was running the bino harness this weekend as well. Super easy to get your glass in and out, especially, you know, when you're trying to um, locate those gobbles that you hear off in the distance. Um, If you haven't already also, definitely be sure to download the Stone Glacier app either on iTunes or Google Play, depending upon your device, uh, and really stay up to date with everything that Stone Glacier has going on over there. So definitely be sure and check them out, stoneglacier.com. All right, with me today, I have the co-founder of Early Riser Coffee Company, Aaron Hitchens. Aaron, how's it going, man? Pretty good, pretty good. Fishing is uh, is starting to be a thing here after a long, cold, COVID-stricken winter, and we are uh, we're making the most of it, enjoying enjoying some time outside with a rod in hand, and uh, yeah, it's 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 been a very very strange period of time, but yeah. here we are. Yeah, no, that's a, that's a very good way to put it. So, whereabouts are you located at now, Aaron? So I'm currently living in Squamish, British Columbia. Okay. So it's uh, just north of Vancouver, which is just north of Seattle. Okay. Um, the Americans, which are probably the majority of people listening. Yeah. Um, but I, I, uh, I'm about to move back to Alberta, which is near Calgary, which is north of Montana, I guess. <laughs> um, a little geography you know, lesson. Fly <laughs> fishing is a little bit more of a focus. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's it's always fun trying to put these things in perspective, but um, yeah. Okay, well, right on. So, Aaron, I kind of want to jump right into things here and tell me about Early Riser Coffee Company. Yeah, so Early Riser is fun because it was really just about the most organic business you could possibly have. Um, we, our primary um, line of business is a company called Rockhouse Motion. So we make, um, we do advertising, we make film work, photography, and one of our major clients uh, was and, and remains Orbis. Or, or, uh, Orbis. Okay. You may be familiar, especially if you're a fisherman or a wing shooter. Um, and so we were on an Orbis shoot, and one of the talent on an Orbis shoot, her name was Kim, very good fly angler, um, needed her to be because we were making film and 
rods. Yeah. So she'd have sweet loops. She did. And uh, we were basically grinding it out, shooting in like, you know, early early morning because it was like in June or something. So, you know, it's, it was we were shooting in Vermont. It was June, like 4 a.m. wake up. And we're shooting all day. And Kim had this cold brew coffee that she kept giving us. And it was insane. And uh, never been much of a cold brew guy. I find it like super acidic usually. And I was like, this stuff is the juice, man. It was like the adult chocolate milk <laughs> crossed with Red Bull. And like I was vibrating by the end of the day. And uh, so I was like, man, where'd you get that stuff? She's like, oh, I roast it. And she had a, a small business that she was operating, but the brand was, I think she'd, she'd sort of inherited the brand or bought the brand from a friend and it didn't have much reach. So, you know, we have a surplus of, of ideas and passion for fishing and, and the category. And Kim has great coffee. So we're like, well, how do we, you know, create, we have this incredible product already. Kim makes it. What if we were to team up and create an organization that, um, you know, both makes great coffee, celebrates the lifestyle of the outdoors, and gives back while doing it? And Kim had the idea of the name Early Riser. Obviously fits well with uh, both coffee drinkers and, and the trout that we're kind of born in the pursuit of. And and off we went. And that was basically it. It was, uh, you know, I, I love business. I think it's fun. Um and this has been a fun, you know, a fun project to work on. And, and it's been cool seeing the brand catch traction and start to mean things to people all over the place. Yeah. So when was it that you guys started, uh, officially launched the brand? Man, it must have been a couple of years ago. I'm not sure. We don't have like a, you know, we're not old enough to have the EST on our hats. Yeah. So we're, uh, uh, we, we, we have a ways to go before we get there. But I would say two, three years ago. So was it like how difficult was it? I mean, you said that, that Kim kind of already had... Um, you know, at least from the coffee side of things, kind of already had that pretty well nailed down. I mean, if if you guys just took one day of kind of enjoying the coffee and we're like, yeah, let's let's make this happen. So, how long did it take? You know, after you said or you guys kind of proposed the idea of, hey, like let's let's maybe get something started here before you actually kind of launched launched it to the masses. Probably about six months. Um, you know, one of the things that's most important for us as the advertising company is yeah. the packaging and to have the right materials and to have the right, you know, we wanted to make sure that we had good relationships with, to launch, um, Trout Unlimited. And then we followed that up with the cold brew with Bonefish and Tarpon Trust. And we wanted to make sure we had our ducks in a row, but it was a pretty quick turn, yeah. you know, maybe, maybe six months between sort of the idea and, and being available. Yeah. Now, how is it that you guys, so the, the offerings that you guys have now, I think, uh, when I, I've actually had some of your coffee before when I was looking on the website this morning. Um, so you guys offer three different blends. So how did you guys kind of land on, on those three styles? Yeah. So we're our kind of our vision is to continue to expand our assortment um, with different types of blends in partnerships with different people or organizations. And we have a couple more of those that are in the works um, to keep an eye out for. Uh, but essentially we just ask him what the best coffee, you know, She's, she, we, 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 I really firmly believe in life that you uh, partner with, work with people that are experts in their field and trust them to do their job. And uh, so honestly, I say, we said, Kim, 
we need, you know, a dark roast and a medium roast. And she got in the lab and made a dark roast and a medium roast, and they're absolutely excellent. And the next thing we focused on, which I really was looking forward to because I'm a massive fan of it, is that cold brew. And, uh, yeah, the cold brew is just – it's crack. I mean, the other stuff's great, <laughs> but the delta between – it's like she's got some secret that it just makes it like – it's, like, memorable. It's wild. Very, very good. So, um, yeah, so we started with that. And I think that – I personally think that especially for fishermen uh, and, and fisherwomen and people who are active outdoors in the summer um, and, you know, if you're like me – constantly drinking coffee like i don't like drinking hot drinks when it's hot out it just doesn't make sense yeah uh, and cold brew is like it's just the bomb because you have all of the benefit of caffeine all of the chilling hydrating deliciousness of ice water and you can freaking just keep it in a bottle you don't have to worry about like you know you throw ice in there and it's it's money so honestly i think that there's ton of tons of opportunity for growth around that product and just that category. Um, I'd just love to see more people drinking it because when it's, you know, 100 degrees out and 11.30 and you're standing on a polling platform or, you know, a John boat or bass boat or whatever, the last thing you want to do is try and whip up a hot coffee. Yeah. But just whip out a nice cold cold brew, it's unbelievable. So that's why we chose to partner with Bonefish and Tarpon Trust because when we launched the Early Riser brand, we made a film for the fly fishing film tour um, that was, or F3T, I think that's fly fishing film tour. I gotta be careful not mixing those. <laughs> but uh, you know, we called it The Bounce, and it's basically a, a tarpon fishing film. And when we were down there, I was like, give me some, you know, we didn't have the product ready yet. And I was like, oh, we need some of this cold brew stack because the, uh, the, those guys fishing the flats, man. That is, I'm, I'm Canadian, I'm pretty thick-blooded, I'm a bit of a burly fella, and I do not do well in the heat. I mean, I was pretty much melting. <laughs> so I was taking the ice cubes out of the Yeti and just putting them on my head. So I, I, I that's why we, you know, went with, uh, partnered with Bonefish and Tarpon Trust with that product, because to me, if you like, you know, if you like that kind of fishing, I mean, this is almost a, it's almost a must. Yeah. Now, is the is the cold brew available on the website, or, or how yep. do you get that? Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah, it is. The, uh, we're working on a new way of delivering that, which I'm excited about, and hopefully we'll be able to launch soon. Um, as far as like how to kind of making it a more flexible product, I don't want to say again, I don't want to say too much, but sure. that's one where I think that that we're going to be able to make a great thing even better and uh, and easier to easier to drink and easier to use for people. So I'm excited excited about that one. But yeah, it's on the website as well. Nice, right on. So. I know that there's, uh, or there's, I mean, let me back up a little bit. How difficult was it to kind of, to launch, um, a coffee company? You know, I think that, um, if, I mean, honestly, for our skill set of the people that we have involved, it wasn't really all that difficult. I think the thing is, is like the difficult part about business is expectations and, this is a business that we built on our end. Obviously, we want to support Kim as a roaster, but on our end, we decide we kind of had an option to either write a check one time to an organization of our choice or take the sort of equivalent value of money and put our time into creating a brand 
that would continuously give back yeah. and continuously contribute to the organizations we care about. We feel both as end users um, in the outdoor recreational state space and also as business owners uh, who work in the outdoor industry, you know, we love, we feel our true responsibility to um, contribute to wild places and wild animals and the, because it's what gives us the opportunity both to live and make a living. And so we kind of decided to, to try and create a brand of something that was consumable that would, you know, we kind of had this idea out there that, you know, would people could have the opportunity to, hey, they can either go buy Starbucks or they can go buy, you know, any of the other billion coffee brands or they can go buy Early Riser. Pretty much the same price. The difference is, you know, our stuff's great. It's roasted by a person in Vermont who's an angler and it gives a dollar bag back to conservation. So we kind of made the decision to push it um, and, and, you know, take and grow it as a means of continuing to give back as opposed to as our primary source of income. And so because of that, it's, you know, starting it was not a massive challenge. Now, if we were to say, you know, we have a, you know, the team of people that worked on it, if we were all relying on it as their primary source of income, I would say it's pretty tough to start a coffee company because <laughs> it's a very saturated market. And it's a very saturated market. People have preferences. And a lot of people just don't have a refined enough palate to, to really care. Like, yeah. you know, they just like, get the caffeine in me. I don't really care how it happens. <laughs> um, so it's, yeah, I mean, it's challenging. And, you know, working in food is, is or, can, you know, perishables, I suppose, is a challenging thing. But for what our goals are, we wanted to create something that gave everyday people an opportunity to sort of vote with their dollars for things that they care about. And that's something that, you know, I always love the opportunity. I especially, my fiance is like an absolute star at that. She's such an aware consumer. And you look and it's like, man, we, you know, we get the things we need to get and we pay the amount that we were going to pay. We just happen to do it because of her research and understanding in a way that supports the causes and organizations that matter to us. And I felt that this was a good opportunity to do it in a space that we really cared about. Yeah, so you, you made a lot of uh, of good points in there. One with, um, you know, there's the the coffee market can it can be pretty saturated, and there's a lot of people out there. You know, whether it's a the large companies like like Starbucks or Tim Hortons or anything like that, right? Yeah, Timmy's. Timmy's. Yeah. Where are you? Uh, we've got we've got plenty of Tim Hortons in Michigan here, man. Okay, you're in Michigan. Oh, yeah. sorry. I should have asked. I should have counter asked that. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, I've got uh, some Canadian friends from Ontario and, and they, they love themselves some Timmy Ho's, man, for sure. Yeah, it's uh, it's it's a true national staple. And I'm not going <laughs> to pretend that as a coffee brand owner that I don't occasionally swing by for an ice cap. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> sure. But uh, the one of the things you said there is I don't, you didn't think that a lot of coffee drinkers necessarily had like a, a refined palate and one of the things that i really like about early riser is the whole bean uh you know is, is selling your packages in whole bean because uh i had another coffee company on and they had kind of taken me down the path of pour over coffee which i had never i had never done before and right? i'd always just like you said i wanted caffeine in kind of the easiest and quickest way possible in the morning you know with a couple of young kids i mean it's just like how can I get this the quickest? 
And when they kind of introduced me to it and, and were telling me about it, and it's, oh, yeah, you got to try it and this and that. And I mean, that's the only way I'll drink my coffee now. Grind the beans fresh. And it's amazing how much better coffee tastes when you have fresh beans and you're grinding them, you know, two minutes before you're, you're pouring hot water over it. Totally. I mean, and, and, and we would love to, you know, have a Keurig style option too, because then it's kind of sealed, but it's just, it's just too wasteful mm -hmm. for, it just isn't aligned with our core values of, uh, you know, around sustainability. Because I mean, for a lot of people, it's just the plug and play Yeah, that's, that's nice. But yeah, I mean, when you're grinding it from fresh, the beans keep super well. And, and you know, what's actually funny about it is the best part of that is the smell when you grind it. Oh yeah. You, you put it through the burger grinder and then you pull it out and you have a whip and it's like you're pre-caffeinated. It's incredible. It's I absolutely love that. And uh yeah, that's something that you know, it kind of like lights up the room. It's a good part of the morning for sure. Yeah, and it's it's crazy because I've I've looked at coffee in the past like if you're and I never, like I said, I used to just buy either Keurigs or just stuff that was already ground. And you would see kind of, you know, like the flavor profiles or hints or anything like that, like labeled on the package. But when I would brew a pot of coffee or whatever, like you never really get that. But it like when you're, there's something about grinding it fresh that you see and you smell or you see, yeah, you smell all the different notes and hints and everything that they're talking about that's, that's on the package. And you're like, oh coffee or oh chocolate or cherries like oh there it is right like now now i get it and yeah it's it's a whole different way to experience coffee and i've become almost kind of a snob about it now and people are like oh like you know my wife be like you know i, I kind of i once i started i turned her on to it because she always used to like flavored stuff and things like that but now she's big into the pour over and it's uh it's it's a great way to go about it man i don't know that i could go back if i had to yeah, the uh, we have a, a fun thing on our website um, where we sort of run through the origin of the bags and like have all the tasting notes highlighted with the flavor profile. Yeah, okay. Because there's kind of like this kind of this process where you know you you kind of identify all of them and we we pull that flavor profile out and uh, and sort of celebrated it for people. Sorry about that Slack notification. No, you're good, man. Um, <laughs> But yeah, so it's really, it was really interesting for me because I mean, you know, I like being caffeinated prior to this. I was not a coffee guy and I went through that exact same transition. And, and yeah, I mean, it's, uh, it, it, we want to be, and I believe we've succeeded in having a quality, you know, a, a quality of product that, you know, even the, the snobbiest of snobs can still appreciate, <laughs> yeah. but, you know, delivered at a price and, and in a style of packaging and with a messaging that re resonates with everyone. And that's, that's really our goal. We want to introduce people to better coffee and it's a, it's an important, you know, I like, obviously I'm speaking like a true addict here. This is, this is me as an addict, as a, as a caffeine addict and not as a business owner, but man, it's a like pretty pivotal part of the morning. Yeah. Uh, in my, my business partner and, and best buddy, Matt, uh, we were on a, a trip a few years ago. It was, it was in 2015 and he's like, we, we actually were moose hunting. And we killed a moose, and it was a crazy day. Um, and he's like, that's the first time since I graduated, first day of my life since I graduated high school that I haven't had a cup of coffee. And he was like 32 at the time. Oh, wow. <laughs> Maybe 30, 33, 34, I don't know. But, yeah, it's like, it's it's pretty key. So that's an we're impressive happy, streak. happy to be a part of people's day. Um, and you can see that it resonates, too, with the 
you know, the volume subscriptions people try to, and then, you know, the subscription model is great. You know, I have myself on a subscription because he, anybody else you just forget and then I'll, oh yeah you know, or you get down to like, oh, yeah, yeah let's go yeah you get down to the bottom of the bag and you go shit i've got enough coffee for tomorrow but what am i supposed to do the day after that and you know it's going to take more than a day to get to you and everything like that depending on where you're at and uh yeah so i've just started you know whenever i order coffee two to three bags at a time that way i've got a little bit of a buffer yeah fire up a subscription they're they're uh they're you know if you figure out your timing, I mean, it ends up being right on. It's yeah. kind of fun. Yeah, the brand or the the blend that I had was the uh, the Morning Mend. I think was the one that uh, that we tried. That was yeah. It was. I mean, you're right. Kim Kim knocks it out of the park, man. She does a great job with roasting that, and and like you said, just letting people do what they're good at, man. You you definitely found a good one with Kim there. Yeah, yeah, she's she's great, and and that philosophy is you know. So any success that I've ever had is purely because of that. It's just bringing, <laughs> it's bringing competent people together and sort of let them do their thing. Yeah, that's kind of the goal. So, so tell me, Aaron, how was it that you kind of got introduced to the outdoors? How did you get started? Um, that's a good question. So I grew up in Ontario, actually, uh, on a lake in a rural area, and like, you know, fishing as long as I could possibly remember. Both my parents, my parents actually met doing lake trout research okay. for our fisheries. So both of them have a biology background and both of them fish. Um, you know, mom got interested in fly fishing. Dad never really did. Dad's probably the more avid angler and, you know, kind of was always a, just a part of the summers. And then from there, we, you know, hunting was kind of a natural next step. Got my license as soon as I could and um it's it's always been you know i grew up in an area where it was fairly culturally central but it's been you know i always was way way further into it than kind of the people around me and uh you know when the internet finally made its way into the dark reaches of rural ontario <laughs> I, I realized that there were some people that you know cared as much about goose decoy spreads and you know <laughs> the 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 baits you use for largemouth bass and and I realized I was not, in fact, alone. It was just me and, like, <laughs> you know, a small selection of other rednecks that knew how to use computers. And, and we, we kind of found each other. And, and uh, yeah, that was kind of how I ended up in the in the industry, honestly. But, yeah, it was it was, uh, it was a natural progression. And I'm just grateful to have parents that were always really, really passionate about it and led with a scientific take on things. So I think that's where, um, both from a conservation standpoint – you know where that passion comes from but also just you know you if you think of things biologically it just makes you better at hunting and fishing you yeah. can understand why the fish are in deeper water and there are a lot of people that don't have a freaking clue why they do it that still identify patterns yeah right but if you can under, start to understand why you can you know be a little bit more predictive of behavior and and understand things a little bit better and um it just pays to pay attention. And I think that's something that both my parents really instilled and it's worked out. I mean, we've had a, I've had a very good fortunate run of, of successful, you know, outdoor forays and, <laughs> and hopefully that keeps going. <laughs> yeah. So, um, obviously, you know, anyone that's, that's checked out early riser is, 
you know, there's obviously a, a very clear and distinct tie with, you know, the fly fishing world. So when was it that you got started fly fishing? You know, you said your mom um, was a more avid angler or was a, more of a fly fisher, fly, more of a fly fisher uh, when yeah. you were growing up. So at what point did you get started in that? Yeah, so I got started in that um, very loosely when I was probably like 10. My neighbor, his name's Tom Adamchick, and he was like kind of a one of Canada's top uh, fly fishing writers. And he dug a pond and stocked it with brook trout. And I was like obsessed with brook trout, but he would only let us fish for them if we fly fished. So I was like, well, shit, I better learn to fly fish. <laughs> and so he's a, like an absolutely masterful caster. I actually need to go look him up and, and cast further than him just to prove a point. Um, but, uh, yeah, he's, he's excellent. So, so he kind of taught me originally and laid the foundation and then really got serious about it when we moved to Alberta, probably seven years ago now. Um, you know, I, I kind of knew my way around it, but then it sort of became more of a full tilt obsession because we had opportunities to you know, to dig into it and, and some really great bodies of water. And yeah, it was, it's, uh, it's continued to get more and more serious from there. Yeah. Fly fishing is one of those things that, so I started fly fishing, oh gosh, probably in my mid teens, I would say. Um, my dad, it, it's kind of a, a long story, but my dad had got into fly fishing and he was like the super obsessive personality type. So whatever, activity he got into i mean he would you know he he went head first and you know i've I've told the story a few times to some past guests but he uh you know like one winter in our garage he built himself a drift boat like got the blueprints like yeah the whole nine yards like he just i mean it was his baby and we brought it we threw in the back of the truck one summer like took it out to montana did some floats on some big water out there and so that's what got me going on it and it's uh, it's so easy to kind of go down the rabbit hole uh, in fly fishing. And there's so many different avenues. I've had some guests on who are are really avid fly fishermen, and they talk about you know kind of growing up, you know, just fishing, fishing, you know, small streams, um, rivers, things like that, and then taking it one step further, and then they're fly fishing like surf casting in the ocean and stuff like that. And there's just so many different ways, and it's almost like this never-ending evolution of of learning in terms of fly fishing in the different ways different i mean there's just so many different avenues yeah it's pretty funny like when you're you be you like fly fishing is interesting because it almost isn't super transferable between places yeah like guy that's like you know a drift boat hero and can row with the absolute best of it, knows how to read water and knows how to man perfectly. That guy goes and fishes the flats and like has never tried to cast more than 30 feet in his life. He gets melted, you know? <laughs> and then you have the guy that's so sweet, you know, that can absolutely hawk these Mundo streamers in the, in the flats or, and then that guy goes and tries to drift and he can't manage his line. Yeah. And then there's the guy that can, you know, fight a 10 pound rainbow on seven X tippet Cause he's, he's using chronomids and knows how to manage that. But then like could catch a pike, you know? And then it's like, it's so funny because you, you, it, it is, it, there's, you're going to get your ass handed to you a lot harder and more often in fly fishing when you shift places. Like I can go and like go sail fishing and, 
with you know conventional gear and like never sailfish, never caught anything. But you like you know you kind of reel and it's like oh here we go. Yeah, so yeah. Cool. It, it transfers, you know, a little bit of fish playing, but like it, fly fishing is very interesting in that in that yeah you 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 need to there's being a good angler in your home water, but being like a good versatile angler where you can you know put a rod together and go get it done. That's a real damn challenge. And and I think that like. For me, a big part of falling in love with fly fishing was just really learning to cast, um, cast really well, because you you know especially somebody who with early riser essentially owns a fly fishing business, and with rockhouse I'm always on shoots. It's like I gotta be able to I gotta be able to hold my own whenever they <laughs> you know we're filming with the big dogs. So I had to make sure that I could I could throw it really well, and I got a buddy who's. I think possibly, you know, the best fly caster in the planet. I would honestly, I mean, he's in the mix and uh, his name is Naoto Aoki and he does a lot of our photography for early riser, but he, uh, he taught me, um, you know, he kind of took it from where Tom had got me and he sort of showed me the rest of the way. I mean, yeah. the other, <laughs> uh, yeah, we did a, we were, I was with him the other morning and, you know, I'm trying to cast trying to shoot the whole line right i want to get all 90 feet or whatever out in with two false casts so pick it up and shoot okay. with the stream. and i'm like you know six feet short like 10 feet short I'm, but i'm still casting pretty well I'm yeah like warm up i get one and like you know the final the like the back and gets like halfway out the rod and he's like doesn't count he picks it up and he's just like, bam, backing flies at the tip of the rod. First cast sets it down. I'm like, all right, you know, this guy's unbelievable. Yeah. It's unbelievable. So it's very fun just because of the, you know, the, like learning to cast is almost like golf and it's, you know, in the way that it's like kind of a, an athlete, you don't want to put too much power into it. It's, it's like its own thing. So I actually really had a, a ton of fun to that with that in the winters, just going out in the snow and putting the target down. Yeah. Uh, very Canadian thing to say, but <laughs> no, I mean, that, that's true. I mean, I think, and maybe this is just from, from my experience with fly fishing is that, you know, I always kind of, it's, I never, it's not something that I do like year round. Right. So your first time out on the water, first, second time out, like there's a lot of rust to shake off, especially, you know, even if it's your home water and you're, you know, where you're going, you know what to expect as far as your surroundings, the water and all that. But yeah, it's if you're not doing it all the time, man, it's it's hard to yeah just pick it right up and like you said, shoot ninety feet of line out with two false casts. Yeah, yeah, it's it's pretty fun. I mean, the thing is, is for me, I think if I like, I've been trying to really distill it recently, um, and I just love to learn and I love to improve, and I think that fly fishing is like one of the rare theaters where that is endless. I think the outdoors is really where that is endless. You know, I'm always, you're never going to go and like always catch the big fish. You're never going to always shoot the big elk. Like yeah. it's impossible. You know, the best, most accomplished people in the world don't hold the world records. Yeah. You know, like the, the guy in Montana who took a day off work and went for a hike, no shot the world's biggest elk. Like, you know, the dude has a handlebar mustache. He's not sitting here like, you know, in elk shape, he's not shooting at 3D tournaments, you know, he doesn't have a podcast or a TV show or, you know, a sponsor, he's just a guy that loves to hunt and, yeah. and like, 
the same goes for fishing. It's the biggest bass. And think how much money there is in in uh, the fishing for largemouth bass in the United oh, States. Yeah. Of America. And the world record is is still from like I think it's Montgomery Lake, Alabama, um, and no Georgia. I know this. I'm gonna go it because I'm so upset with myself. <laughs> um, yeah, you you said yeah, something. It's yeah, George Perry, yeah, Montgomery Lake in Georgia. Whew, boy, 1932. So you know you have every damn sponsor and all of the brands and and energy and human effort that's gone into that. And George Perry in Montgomery Lake in 1932 still yeah. caught a bigger bass than anyone else has. Yeah, and 80, like I love that, you know. Yeah, 89 years so, ago, right? Yeah, that's a long ass time to not catch a bigger bass. Yeah, for With sure. The technology and everything—it's crazy. Yeah, and you—you you made a good point with uh, when you were how humbling fly fishing can be because you can be great on your home water. I had taken a trip out to Colorado. Oh, four or five years ago with some buddies who had never been fly fishing before. Um, my wife kind of set it up as a birthday trip for me, kind of stayed at this little like dude ranch um, and uh, hired a guy to take us out just because we had like three days and they hadn't fished before. We didn't want to spend our time, you know, dicking around on some water, trying to figure stuff out on our own. We're like, if we're going to go out there for a short amount of time, like let's make it worth it. And I'd only ever fished dry flies here in Michigan, uh, or even like my trips out west, it had all been dry fly. And we got out there in early June. There's a ton of runoff. The water was all muddy. He's like, yeah, have you guys ever fished indicators? And I was like, uh, and then, you know, my buddies looked at me like, what the hell is this guy talking about? And I was like, I have not, like, I've, I've, I know what they are, but I've never fished them before. And it's amazing. Yeah, it, it humbled me after about the second cast. And I was like, Oh boy, what did I get myself into here? But, you know, the guide was awesome. I mean, I don't know how many times we snapped fish off, got tangled, this and that. And he was just like, hand me your rod. You know, he, I mean, he was doing the guide thing and he was just awesome. But uh, it's, it, yeah, it, it's, it's, it's humbling to say the least. Yeah, yeah. It's, and it's, but I mean, as long as you're learning, it's yeah. fun. Now you know how to fish indicators. Yeah, yeah, exactly. But for what it's worth, it's better to be able to fish dry flies. It's definitely more fun. <laughs> yeah, oh yeah, for sure. And, and I, I've been out back out there since and have fished with him some more just, you know, with dry fly stuff later in the year and, and had, you know, felt way more comfortable doing it. But yeah, yeah, it's it's, it's nice to be able to add something to the to the repertoire of, of fishing styles. Yeah, absolutely. So... Um, you kind of touched on it a little bit earlier, but obviously early riser is 2% certified. So how was it um, that you guys kind of first learned about 2%? Um, we actually did the first video to launch 2% whenever it became a thing in the very beginning. And so we've known and we've known about it since then. Um, yeah, that's pretty much the story. Yeah, <laughs> That's actually really cool though, because a lot of people are like, oh, I heard about it because I think um, uh, Sam Soholt, I believe he was, uh, I believe you're friends with Sam, correct? Yeah. 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 Sam's, Sam's one of the best people. Yeah. No, Sam, Sam and what he's been able to do with, um, his brother with public land tees is incredible. I mean, the guy is an absolute genius when it comes to creative ways to, to raise money for conservation. There's, there's no question. I mean, he's, there's, it's second to none with Sam, but he was telling me, I think that he heard about it from you, uh, as far as 2% for conservation. Yeah, yeah, it's just a great, uh, it's a great organization. It just makes sense, right? 
And it's a great, you know, as a consumer, it's very hard to know who's really doing what. Yeah. And I think that the allocation of time and of money is an important part of the 2% thing because you have the, you know, a lot of this stuff that really makes a difference is it requires time, whether that's cleaning up a riverbank or if it's, you know, mentoring youth in, in the outdoors or whatever it is, that requires you know, that you can't just throw money at those kinds of problems to the right. same degree. So it's great to have a celebration of both of those two things uh, in parallel. And it's great for people to be able to go look at a package or look at a website and immediately know what happens or where the, uh, where it all starts and, and, and not where it starts. It's the wrong thing. Hopefully you edit these, but <laughs> <laughs> um, it's great to be able to look at a package and, and know that this is a company that's, 2% certified, which means that they care and they're investing financially and, and with their own personal time, which in many cases is is equally or more valuable than the financial contribution. So I think it's great. Um, I'm, I, I, you know, having worked with that organization um, from basically the get-go, I think it was, you know, really good, strong vision and it's it's something that's worth looking at when you go to make your next outdoor purchase for sure. Yeah, no, since, um, since starting the podcast and I have a small business and it's 2% certified as well. And since then it's amazing how often if I'm looking for whatever it is, whatever the good, good or service is that I'll go through the fishingwildlife.org. I'll look through the different certified businesses and see if, if there's a business that offers, you know, what it is that I'm looking for. Like, you know, I've had, I've told people before, like, I don't think I've drank a cup of coffee from a non 2% certified company in, you know, the last shoot six, eight months, probably something like that. And it's, it, it's so cool to see the, the variety of different companies that are out there that are 2% certified, not just, you know, companies that are necessarily operating directly in the outdoor space. Yeah. I think that's important too. I mean, it's, uh, it's a great way, even if you're not, selling to necessarily or selling an outdoorsy product to connect with people that, that care about the same things as you do. And, you know, I'd like to see it continue to grow to a place where, you know, you need to get a chip fixed in your window that you can choose the glass spot that has, it, you know, and, yeah. I, and I think it's really impressive seeing how much it has taken off. Um, obviously when any time you launch something or you're involved with the launch of something, you never really know how it's going to go. And so, uh, yeah, it's, it's been great to see that, growth and and sort of the buy-in from the category and people just starting to take things more seriously around um, you know our, our sort of personal responsibility to take care of the the things and there's you know there's there's always going to be debate as far as what the best way to do that is mm-hmm. but I think that that's what makes two percent cool is it's not like hey you have to donate to this thing you have to donate to ducks unlimited or you know whatever it's like you need to show that you've donated something that's within the realm of, you know, what they deem acceptable, which is very broad, but still real reasonable. And, and, you know, you need to prove it, but it doesn't, it's not like pushing an agenda. Yeah. It's just pushing the theory or the, you know, pushing and it's, it's celebrating people making a sacrifice for, you know, what will hopefully be a generational return. And I really appreciate that. Yeah, no, that's, that's, that's very, very well put that people are giving back to 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 things that that they 
care about, that they love to do, and that they're doing it on their own accord, right? They're not being forced to do it. They've made the conscious decision like, hey, if, if, if you're hunting or if you're, you know, if you're not practicing catch and release, for example, from a fishing side of things, or, you know, hell, even if you're just bird watching, you know, you're foraging, whatever it is, if you're, you know, in some sense taking from the land with, with hunting, for example, you know, you're, you're giving back to it as much as you, you know, physically can from, or, you know, as much as you can from a physical and a monetary standpoint. And that's, that's all you can ask really from, from an outdoorsman or an outdoors woman. Yeah. And I think the thing is, is like, you know, I'm, I'm 30. I, my friends are starting to have kids. I'm probably going to have kids. I hope. Uh, and I've seen places, whether they're properties that I grew up hunting or rivers that I love to fish, like really profoundly change, mm-hmm. you know? And it really bums me out a ton whenever it's like, oh, that's where I shot my first deer, but we can't go there. Yeah. Or this is where we film this like really cool shot that I, you know, I'll always love, but that river's crushed or, you know, it's like that really emotionally impacts me. And I, you know, there's only so much you can do, but you may as well try and do it. And I think that's the, the generational thing is really now, you know, as I take, take my dad, my dad's actually visiting right now and uh, we've been going salmon fishing and it's like, you know, it's not what it once was, right? Right. But to be able to share that with him and be like, man, it'd be pretty cool to share that with my kids too. Yeah. And I find that a lot of people have that same that same thought, that same mentality. Um, when they get to that point in their life where either they're thinking about starting a family in terms of like, you know, having kids or their kids kind of get to a point where they can start experiencing the outdoors with them. And it kind of, brings them back to, to their youth, to them growing up and the times that they spent with their dad, their mom, their grandparents, whatever it was outdoors. And they want to be able to pass those experiences on. And like you said, there's, there's some cases where that's just not possible because, you know, the area where, like you said, you shot the first year, maybe it's been developed or, you know, it's now owned by a logging company or, or something like that, that you just don't have access to. And yeah, it's, it can be a real bummer, man. Mm-hmm. I think that's one of the things that I really appreciate about Soulhold's effort is just celebrating the public opportunity and yeah. and keeping with that because yeah I mean it's something that in the eastern side of things you don't really have the same same opportunity but being out west I mean you know the those places are absolutely priceless and I, I appreciate the work that he's done to protect them and that's something that you know we certainly have in mind with with early riser yeah well. Just one more kind of question for you here, Aaron, before I let you go is I know obviously you touched on it very early on with, you know, the last year being kind of crazy and everything and and potentially some opportunities missed for a lot of people if they were going out of state or, you know, coming up to Canada there. Um, Do you have any big hunts or or fishing trips or anything like that planned for this year? Yeah, so um, we... Let's see. Yeah, so the thing that I'm most excited about is... My uh, fiance is, you know, we, we've tried to get married last summer and then that didn't work. Yeah. And so try to get married this summer and then that's not going to work. So theoretically by next summer, when the Rona has finally left us behind, um, we would like to get married and have a wedding. That's kind of the goal. Been yeah. the goal. Well, and then probably have kids shortly afterwards. So 
um, if possible. So for me, this fall, we're really, I'm trying to get a couple, uh, or at least a one really good elk tag somewhere in New Mexico or Colorado. Not necessarily like a trophy in it, but something with a lot of density. Yeah. And I really want to take Logan um, down there so she can have like one absolutely kick-ass elk hunt before she, you know she may have to have a season or two pregnant. So yeah. Um, and then you know obviously kids change things or so I've been told. They so do. They I absolutely do. <laughs> most excited about just because she's she's been on you know five straight years of like absolute over-the-counter public land grinds you know yeah the the 80 mile 100 mile total distance and the you know elevation and the bullshit and the pressure and you know public public land hunting is i love it uh on a general tag like i absolutely you know it's it delivers a sense of accomplishment that is unrivaled yeah um and she's, you know, she's been successful both on her own, and then she was with whenever we uh, killed a bull for my dad, which is his ever first ever bull kill. So, you know, she's done the hard yards and she's proven herself. And so, for me, what I'm most excited about is is having her experience some of these places or or units that I've seen, and and really just get to be in the thick of it. You know, yeah. like she when she was first getting into elk hunting. Um, she would read all the stories and then articles and everything and it would talk about hearing bugles from the tent and in our five years we have heard one tent bugle <laughs> and she killed a bull the next day um, but you know it would be good to it would be good to prove to her that that's actually a thing yeah and, and get in the thick of it so we you know we're really fortunate in that we you know I'm gonna go fish for salmon later today and uh, pull the prawn traps and you know we because we're in Canada we have over-the-counter sheep hunting opportunities um, I'll probably spend some time in the mountains hunt whitetails in Kansas hopefully get some waterfowl hunting done which I haven't done for a couple of years now because of the the closures but uh, yeah what I'm most excited about is is getting Logan on a on a screamer have a good get a good hunt together that'd be that's that's something that's really exciting to me yeah it sounds like she's she's put in uh enough of the uh, the tough hunts that that she's ready for something that I mean no elk hunt is easy but something like you said that has some more density and is is maybe a little bit friendlier from from that regard yeah and I mean the thing you're right no elk hunt is ever easy you can have the best tag on the planet you know they can just be yeah. quiet weather can there's a billion things that can happen and it's not about shooting a 380 inch elk it's not about shooting a 350 inch elk it's not about shooting a 300 inch elk it's about just like being in the thick of it to me the beauty of population, like of, of elk hunting is just so much better when there's population density because then you have a herd bull with two satellite bulls and another herd and then there's cows trading where it's like a lot of times, it's, you know, especially up in, in Alberta where the density is lower, it's like here's a three-year-old elk with five cows and if you bugle at him, he's just going to get the hell out of here. Yeah. So like having kind of the chaos that comes with uh, – the chaos that comes with a good, um, dense, you know, unit is just an absolute blast. So here's hoping we can, we can find the right tag and, and get that hunt done. What do you, what do you have going on? I imagine that you probably, the listeners may know already, but I still want to know. Yeah, no, for sure. Um, so I'm, I'm trying to, I've been trying to play my cards. We have two young kids and it has certainly changed the landscape of my free time. Um, so I do a lot of whitetail hunting here in Michigan, so really once once uh, October 1st hits almost through the end of the year, I'm pretty tied up with that. Um, 
I keep trying to lobby for a mule deer hunt out in Colorado. I've got a buddy uh, out there who's been kind of asking me to come out for the last few years and just haven't been able to make it happen. Um, so those are the two that, that I'm looking forward to. Going to actually head out tomorrow to do some turkey hunting for the next few days. So I miss that so much. My dad's killed. He tagged out. Oh, look at that. <laughs> Old man still got it. <laughs> so uh, turkey hunting is something relatively new to me i never did it growing up but my brother-in-law does it uh my father-in-law do it so we're going to try to get on some birds uh over the next couple days here so hopefully that pans out and then uh, you know some fly fishing this summer whenever I, I get the opportunity so that's that's kind of nothing crazy but that's kind of what i have in store for the rest of the year yeah well enjoy the uh enjoy all of it and especially enjoy the fly fishing and and thanks a ton for taking the time to celebrate early riser where you're you know, we're a small company, but we have a, you know, we have a belief in, in creating a, in, you know, a positive impact on a world that we care about. And, you know, basically our core offering is if you're going to drink coffee, you may as well drink the stuff that, that puts more fish in the rivers or in the ocean or whatever else. And um, our brand is, it celebrates that and it celebrates people like you. So thanks for uh, taking the time to celebrate us and, and having us on. Yeah. Well, no, I appreciate it, Aaron. And real quick, where can, uh, where can, if they haven't already, where can people find Early Riser? Yeah. So uh, it's earlyriser.co um, online. Any Orvis, I think we're in almost all of the Orvis retail stores. Okay. Which is fun if you want to go pick one up in person. Uh, there's a few other shops, but I won't list them all because that's not particularly. <laughs> we have the internet for that. Uh, yeah. But uh, earlyriser.co or at earlyriser coffee on Instagram. And, uh, yeah, there will come find us. We got some really, really fun pictures of really big fish on, the, on, uh, on Insta. If you if you don't want the coffee, you may as well stick around for the, the videos of fish crushing flies. So, yeah. Came for the coffee, stayed for the fish. Absolutely. Yeah. Stayed for the fish point. It was yeah. pretty funny. We actually, uh, um, one of our core pillars at the beginning, like when we were laying everything out is it's like, we want to provide a premium product you know, a quality, meaningful message and a lasting conservation impact. And we want to wrap it all up, bundle it all up with a promise to deliver to a top flight fish porn. And we got an email from a guy who was like, Hey, we love your product. Like it really, you know, I really enjoy it and I enjoy the brand, but I just can't support something that celebrates pornography. And, uh, <laughs> you know, I, I mean, personally, I, I, cannot relate to that perspective but I, I i never thought i always thought that i'd be like it's my business so i can do what i want you know but i was like you know what this guy sat down and took the time to write an email so i think we changed it to like uh jaw-dropping fish visuals or you know yeah you know, heart pumping f footage and whatever i don't i don't remember what the language is now but I'm pretty sure that we've erased that from our uh, our public portfolio. But for those of you to whom this does not offend, we have some extremely electric fish porn in the libraries, and uh, hopefully it keeps the blood pumping and, and gets you guys keen and energized to hit the water, uh, just the way the coffee will. So yeah, yeah, that's that's the goal anyway. All right. Well, hey Aaron, I really appreciate you taking some time, man. Good luck out on the water today. Thanks, and thanks a ton for having me. I I really appreciate it. All right. Thanks again. All right. Well, thanks again to Aaron for taking some time to join me on the podcast today and telling us more about Early Riser Coffee. 
Uh, I would also like to thank the partners of the podcast, Stone Glacier and Go Hunt, as well as Wild Rivers Coffee Company, and of course, 2% for Conservation. If you're interested in learning more about 2% for Conservation, you can visit their website, fishandwildlife.org, and there you can see all the certified brands, including Early Riser Coffee, that you should support when you shop. Uh, I also encourage you guys to follow 2% on social media, where they're going to post only positive content, so you'll definitely enjoy their conservation-focused posts in your feed. Uh, so again, if you'd like to learn more about 2% for Conservation, you can look for them online on social media or at fishandwildlife.org. Thanks for joining me this week, everyone. Hope you uh, liked the episode. Remember, stay safe out there, and conservation starts with you. Mm-hmm.